and welcome to the EdSurge On Air podcast, a weekly look at the future of education. I'm Jeff Young, an editor here at EdSurge. MOOCs have gone from a buzzword to kind of a punchline, especially if you ask professors who were skeptical of them in the first place. But what is their legacy on campuses? You might remember the hype from a few years ago. The New York Times declared it the year of the MOOC, and columnists like Tom Friedman saw the beginning of a revolution. MOOC stands for Massive Open Online Course, and they started when a few Stanford professors opened up their courses to anyone who wanted to take them. And the crowds who showed up were, well, massive. We're talking 160,000 people for, for one of the early ones. In the rush of public interest that followed, big features in, in major magazines and newspapers wondered whether online courses could help fix the cost crisis in higher education. Was this the answer to one of the nation's toughest problems? And of course, the answer turned out to be no. Actually, these days, you don't hear much about MOOCs at all. In the national press, there's almost a MOOC amnesia. It's like it never happened. But the courses are still around, though they have quietly evolved. And today on the podcast, we're talking with someone who has been tracking MOOCs closely and steadily ever since he was a student in one of those first Stanford Open Courses. He's Dual Shah founder and CEO of Class Central. His site is a kind of Yelp for MOOCs, where people can review and rate free online courses. It's also a site with some articles by DeWall and his colleagues about what's going on in the MOOC landscape. Shaw argues that MOOCs are having an impact, but mainly for people who are enrolling in MOOC-based degrees these days, where they can get a credential that can help them in their careers. Of course, that's a very different outcome than what was expected of MOOCs, which were said to be able to, to get education to underserved communities at the undergraduate level. One quick note, this conversation was recorded a few months ago during the ASU GSV Summit, and we streamed the original live during our EdSurge Live series. We'll have the conversation with Dewal Shah right after this. This episode of the EdSurge On Air podcast is brought to you by the EdSurge Fusion Conference. Join education and nonprofit leaders from around the country this October to discuss how learning sciences, social-emotional learning, and technology can advance personalized learning for the whole learner. Visit fusion.edsurge.com to register. Um, I'm happy to say we're joined this half hour by Dewal Shah, founder and CEO of Class Central. Uh, thank you so much for being here. Thank you for having me. You and I have been watching MOOCs for a while, and you know, in a way, they're sort of, when I go to campuses now, sometimes they can be a punchline, especially for professors who kind of don't really, you know, follow it that closely. They're like, oh, you know, MOOCs is that thing that never happened, that everyone said was going to happen because it was, you know, cover stories in all the magazines, like The Economist and Atlantic, and it was going to be the next big, it was going to just, you know, change yeah. higher ed as we know it. And yet, you know, they're still out there. So where, where do you see us right now with, with MOOCs? Where do you see the kind of progression of these, this trend, if you will, or this, this phenomena? Yeah, they might have fallen off the big newspaper kind of publication. If you look back, even in 2011, yeah. as soon as New York Times wrote that year of MOOC article, yes. then they basically the stopped writing. The MOOC. Then they stopped writing it. In, in, before that, they had like, you know, they were publishing an article every one or two months, and then they just stopped publishing those articles after that. So they might have fallen from the sort of... Uh, the public, public imagination. Eye, but yeah. considering my business is still alive, <laughs> which relies on them to do well, 
the you know as we are a subset of the entire MOOC market. And your 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 um, audience is is students, right? So students. someone's out there taking them. Yeah, we get half a million monthly uniques. Okay. So you know it means people are looking for them, and we don't have a big marketing budget, so. Right, people are finding it. People are finding it, so it's definitely. I mean, they've figured out a monetization model. Uh huh. They might not be profitable, but I think they're making a lot of money. Uh, Udacity even itself announced that they made seventy million dollars last year. Okay. Uh, Coursera, we predict like at least the B two C revenue is hundred million dollars, <laughs> if it's not more. Uh, at their conference, they announced that they made, they have made ten million dollars just for from revenues of their online degrees. Right. Uh, so I think they're grinding it out there. People are using them. More people are using them at any point of time huh. before. Uh, they're making money and now they're looking forward going into the online degree market and the corporate learning training market. Yeah, I wanted to ask you kind of what um, we were talking before and you were saying this, this degree thing is the new... Uh, the hype. Yeah, it, or, and, and also uh, what's, what's really happening. It's kind of come back to degrees, right? Uh, is that is that what you're seeing as far as interest? Yeah, like what has happened is the so one of the biggest challenge of an online degree, yeah, is acquiring users, and finding the students, finding yeah. the students who would want to and pay for the degree. Sure, and that's what MOOCs have. They might they have tons of free users. People these, these platforms know where the students are, where the students are. So huh. in that. From a pure business sense, it makes sense because they have a, a competitive advantage over traditional players because they have the students. All they needed was to build a product. And I think in the last two years, like Coursera announced IMBA in 2015. Okay. And it took a while so for the. So Coursera's got its business degree you can get from that. Business. Coursera with uh, University of Illinois. Right. So that was the first online degree they offered. Udacity partnered with Georgia Tech. Back in 2013, sure, and it for has, this low-cost computer science. Yeah. yeah, unfortunately, not all new d- online degrees are that low priced. Right, uh, which was seven thousand uh, dollars, but there's still fifty percent, at least generally fifty percent off. Uh, so you're seeing, and you're seeing more development in that direction. More. So that's what colleges that are working on these with these providers are doing now. Is actually offering degrees, not just kind of free classes that you can learn something. Yeah, and. I think there are 22 new online de- MOOC-based degrees that have been announced so far. Hmm. Uh, and these are within the last year or two-ish? Generally, yeah, generally. Coursera just announced six more online degrees. One of them was even a bachelor's in computer science right. from University of London, Colorado. Uh, UC Boulder has announced an electrical engineering MOOC-based degree. Does that surprise you at all? I mean, in the early days, right, they were, you know, standing up and saying these same founders of these like edX and, and Coursera were saying that this was going to be for the masses and they're going to be free and bring it to people that chan- you know don't have any don't don't need to pay anything and what you're describing is you know low cost but these are degree programs it's almost sounding more traditional in some ways it is but i personally am more excited about it oh okay just because a lot of these degrees not all and they release these the content for free so in that sense, the quality of free content is going up because now they're going to create these courses for a degree. So it's not just one course for people who are online and one course for people who are enrolled in a university. It's the same course. So in that sense, um, some of the 
courses that are not monetizable in a pure online certificate environment and now have a monetization model through online degrees hmm. because you do many obscure courses or many courses that are not that exciting as part of an online degree so now these are coming online so overall it has the potential i don't know it will happen it has the potential to increase the quality of moocs why do you think the universities now that are staying with it and really doing this latest trend of these degrees why why are they i mean is it what is their motivation these days um is it is it marketing for their pro- other programs is it to just philanthropically give away stuff or is it much is it changing the way they see it the universities that are that are doing it i think it's all of them uh-huh. and marketing is definitely a big part of it and i think it's still new if they get in early they might establish uh you know they might establish the degree like there's no electrical in electronics engineering uh, online in a moog base so they became the first one so i see so everybody has a chance to be the first in this first in this so and maybe cap- capture the market early huh. um i was listening to this podcast uh, from uh, cu polder themselves and they said like one of the lines they mentioned is what would it take to advertise our course uh, advertise our university in 192 countries like the cost would be too high but through moogs they can do that they you know it it's a tremendous benefit to their brand hmm. Ex- i'm quoting them almost exactly <laughs> so so that <laughs> so was interesting motivation that sure. was interesting to me like you know i've been to boulder and i had friends who did electronics degree there but if i didn't have friends you know i would not have heard of it sure so it just increases their reach uh, i think it's a bigger advantage for smaller universities than the bigger because they get to sort of undercut the bigger you're not harvard say who's yeah <laughs> yeah <laughs> right right the, the brands are so well known but some of the low brands that are not well known they might be locally well known but not globally yeah they get a chance to reach more users and plus it's it's good money if it works out are there sort of co- colleges and universities that are really the ones kind of getting the most attention or or revenue in some cases and others are there sort of winners and losers in this so far it's too early to say losers because sure the but the older like you know degrees that were launched are the winners so sure uh, georgia tech has more than 6000 students and uh, so that's like a huge i guess what i mean is are there some that are emerging as like the kind of superstars of this space and kind of crowding okay. out the space or or is everyone kind of doing good and kind of equally uh, kind of out of it Yeah I mean there's some universities that have launched a lot of courses. Mm-hmm. Definitely there you can see which ones are all in and which ones are just like you know let's dabbling. be dabbling and I'm not sure they have mm-hmm. their winners as such mm-hmm. because in the end like the the type of they might win in certain categories. Definitely get, if you launch a course in data science early on you're Right, that's where the revenue might be. Yeah. And of course as we talked about the colleges have multiple reasons for for getting involved. Yeah. Um what about the students? You know, who who are the people who end up taking these these MOOCs? It's it's a huge diversity. Uh but the ones who end up paying for them that's less uh-huh. that's more there's more information about who's paying for them rather uh, usually it's people like me who are out of the education system and you know looking for a promotion or a new job or if as a programmer it makes so much sense 
for me to do a data science or artificial intelligence course. Because you were one of the first MOOC students, right? Yes, I did the artificial intelligence class back uh, from Sebastian the same, the same one that the New York Times was writing about and trumpeting as the year. Of yeah, the so huh. probably I should credit my site to New York Times because they got <laughs> me excited. Um, huh. So I, if I was working as a normal developer job, I would have the money to pay for artificial intelligence class. And, and one of the things I'm noticing is a lot of these, not even just MOOC, just other education, online education providers, they're going upstream in pricing. Okay. So they're increasing their prices. And for me, what that signals is the people who are willing to pay are not that price sensitive. I see. So there's so like... So those who are willing to pay are this group that are yet yeah, have resources. Yeah. This entire group of people, which is $1 is too much, where they are like free or, you know, yeah. we, nothing else. Like we, we, we only want free. Uh, but there's other group of people who's like 900 or 1200 bucks. You know, maybe not a big difference. In the end, if you know the outcome, like you are getting a a five percent, ten percent increase in salary, which is over a lifetime, so you make that money. Uh, you know, you recover that money very quickly. But yeah, are there students who, um, you know, uh, just it seems like one thing that hasn't emerged, at least from what I'm seeing, and you could correct me if I'm wrong, or uh, that this may not work as well for sort of reaching people who just can't get to higher ed, right? Because that was one of the promises. Because in some ways, it feels like the people who are doing the best are people who are just good at taking college courses. Like like you mentioned, you know, yourself, I'm sure you fall into that category. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's not just the resources, right? It's like you understand the, the, you know, you know the drill. You know how to stay on task and to make sure you get your homework in and you don't have to have somebody nagging you. Whereas, you know, people talked a lot in the early days about those low completion rates. Yeah. Um, and so is that, has that... Has that been kind of a, an area where it hasn't really lived up to that promise which, with students who just aren't... So getting to students who just don't have access otherwise to higher ed? I mean, they can sign up and look at the videos, right. but getting them to learn, I feel like the original MOOCs where, which had large communities actually did that. The community provided the support and the encouragement. Mm-hmm. Uh, but now, like the, I, I think I wrote it on Edsearch, like, <laughs> uh, MOOCs, no, I didn't write about it, but MOOCs are no longer massive. The community engagement is not there. So that makes it even more difficult. Uh, I, you know, I might be one of the better ones, but I still struggle. Mm-hmm. You know, like, um, you, you have done it, you do struggle too. I, I share your, yeah, I share your, I almost failed one that I took. Yeah, you know. so it's, it's not even easy for us. So, but I felt like the community layer was the fix, which is you get, active support. In many cases, when I was doing artificial intelligence class, before the deadline, I just used to go to forums and see what people are talking about. And usually the problems I have was somebody had already asked and already answered. Hmm. So I definitely think the community layer, layer that the ecosystem around MOOCs mm-hmm. is not there. The content so is it, there. So it is actually hard to be a, 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 non, you know, a learner that's not that versed in, in higher ed to come in and, and avail themselves of this. Yeah, I mean, yeah. it's just, you can only go so far with videos and quizzes and... Right, in a way, it's just like going to the library and teaching yourself anything. Yeah, so it's a better version, more concise version, so it increases, it's a better version of a textbook, but in the end, it's still a passive experience, so making into uh, an active community, it's, I feel like, Community doesn't make money. 
Yeah. So community isn't really a feature that people sign up for. People sign up, like the reason people pay for is credential. Hmm. Those are the universities, universities and the content matter more. So unfortunately that has fallen down the priority list of the designers of these products. Some like Udacity go like have a smaller community for paid users. Mm -hmm. So they do Slack and I'm taking a Udacity nano degree right now. So they're doing- You're back in the MOOC classroom. Um, just, yeah, uh, so trying, uh, just by saying it out there increases the probability that I finish it. Yeah, now you got, yeah, we're, <laughs> yeah. we're holding you to it. So I just have to say it every time I, <laughs> um, so, so yeah, they have a Slack community. They have in, in help inside of, inside of the product itself where you can get mentor support. So I'm still seeing how they are doing it. But generally it's only for paying students, mm -hmm. not for the free, uh, free students. What do you, what do you see as the next, um, the next thing? It seems like you believe MOOCs will stick around, um, but are, is that, do you, are, are we almost to a point where this is kind of where it's at and everyone's got, or do you think they'll continue to grow the number of offerings? Are more colleges getting in? Because you mentioned that the number of MOOCs is still growing, but it feels like it, it feels like it's tapered off. You'd know better than I would, but is there a point where it'd be kind of like where this is kind of what's, what's out there? Um, yeah, I mean, now you see multiple sort of, before there was only one course that taught you Python. Now there's so many courses that teach you Python. So in, in case now they're, in some cases they're competing against each other before, they were, see. Yeah. You know, before there was no competition. So even if courses are going sometimes, the diversity might not grow that much. Um, so that's why I'm interested in the online degree market because hopefully that will create the diversity. Right. Because there will be, a, there's an accounting degree which created a lot of accounting courses which might not be profitable in the pure MOOC world or even, you know, but that through a degree they create these courses. Um, I think they're going upstream in pricing. Mm -hmm. I think universities are still creating them and there's very few that are left in the, you know, there's a lot of smaller ones that are not creating courses, but at the same time, they can't offer these courses on a Coursera or edX because they're very selective partners. So right, so they've, they've yeah, the, these platforms are sort of limiting the number of, of yeah so i'm not sure how much of this is affecting you know but there are there are a couple of gatekeepers or two or three gatekeepers in the space being coursera future learn and edx and some some of them might launch on their own platform but it's pretty expensive to first create a mooc and then even more maybe expensive to market it so uh, we occasionally get mails about that and we can't do anything uh, so that might be limiting why universities are not creating more MOOCs or newer universities are not creating. Do you, the other thing that seems to me, um, just to, to maybe to a last point, is about awareness. Because it seems like, despite all that hype that we talked about earlier, I still talk to people plenty who just, just don't even know what a MOOC is. Like, especially, yeah. you know, you just go out into the world and not these higher ed conferences like we're sitting at here. Uh, I mean, I was, and people have no idea what you're talking about. I was two miles from, like, the Coursera office opening a bank account, and the people at the bank, when they asked me what they do, what I do, I told them, and they're like, yeah, you nothing. They know, but yeah. one thing you will notice if you tell them, they get excited. If you explain it to them, if you explain hmm. it to them, so that's you know that's still, so it which is in some sense good sign because there's so much, like the there's so much opportunity. To, but to play devil's advocate, it's like how can it be so many years in now, 2011, you know, and and not have people 
have an awareness? I, I, where does that, how, think, how might that change? Or, or is I think a big part of it is people are not looking for it because we are not used to. Hmm. Like once you get out of the education system, you're done. That's been the old model. That's yeah, I guess because yeah, you come to a place like ACUG's V Summit, and everyone's talking about this new lifelong learning, and as if as if everyone is down with this. But that's not that's not the way. It still hasn't changed the narrative. Yeah, it's, it's not even a choice problem. in their head. Like, oh, this could be. This is what I could do. Sure. So the choices are very in there. They do like even when I applied to U.S. universities, I didn't even think about applying to Stanford. Uh huh. It just didn't even cross my mind because it was so elite. Sure. So in that sense, I feel same with like education. It's like people don't even think about it. Like, oh, I could educate myself. Yep. So. All right. Well, plenty of challenges and things to watch. Thank you again for, for joining us today. Um, really appreciate talking with you and having yeah. you share your views. Thank you for having me. This has been the EdSurge On Air podcast. Here's where I usually ask people to subscribe to the podcast. And we hope you do. But I also hope you're reading the words that we write. EdSurge, of course, first and foremost, is a publication that tracks the intersection of education and tech in both K-12 and higher ed. Just visit edsurge.com slash news. This episode was edited and produced by me, Jeff Young. We'll be back next week with more conversations about the future of education. Thanks for listening.